If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 5. I'll give you a little bit of time, but I'm just going to kind of kick, kick into the text today, okay? So Matthew chapter 5. If you need to follow along, it's also in the back of your bulletins. Let me read. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and they began teaching them. he began teaching them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. So be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When I was in seminary, one of my first semesters of seminary, uh, I have to, if you don't know, when you take seminary classes, generally kind of the first few classes you'll take is like an Old Testament 1, Old Testament 2, New Testament 1, New Testament 2. And one of your big assignments in all those classes is typically to do what they call exegetical papers. It's like research papers over the Bible where you go in and you quote from all these commentators and you say, here's what they say, here's what... And so uh, my, one of my first years of seminary, I chose to do my paper over the Beatitudes. By the way, just a little side note really quickly. Um, for some reason when I was little, I remember someone telling me, like, it's called the Beatitudes because these are the, like, attitudes that you should strive to be. That's not true at all. It's called Beatitudes because Beatitude is just the Latin word for blessed. So it went from Greek to Latin, and then we just transliterated it into English. If someone's ever, this is the attitude you should be. That's... Whatever it means, it's not that. So I did not write that in my paper. However, I did decide that the way I was going to orchestrate and organize my paper was to treat the Beatitudes as some sort of like stepladder, where you start in on the very first rung, and the very first rung is blessed are the poor in spirit. And these are the people that they are just, they recognize their own depravity, they recognize their own brokenness. And when you really begin to recognize your own depravity and your own brokenness, that leads you to the next rung of the stepladder, which is like, blessed are those who mourn. Because the people who recognize their own depravity, they're the people who mourn, because they're mourning their own sin and their own depravity. And then once you start to mourn your own sin, then you can walk up to the next rung of the ladder, which is meek. Or, or powerless or humble and blessed are those people because they recognize that they're sinful and can't do it. And I wrote my whole paper about this until like, I guess the a culmination of it all was like you were worthy of persecution because that's the last one. And so I submitted my paper and then I went ahead and preached a sermon over it in Socorro. And then a couple of days later I got my paper back and uh, it was the lowest grade I have ever made on a paper. I made a 67, which is a failing grade on, on a paper in seminary. And I, don't, I went back to try to find it, and I couldn't, I couldn't find the actual paper in my professor's response. But I remember his response was something along the lines of, the Beatitudes are notoriously difficult to interpret. I'm not sure this helps. <laughs> Which, while I'm not sure, I, I believe is like seminary professor for, this paper was trash and you should feel bad. I think that's what he was saying. I'm not totally, totally sure. And so that was, that was seven years ago that I did that paper. Uh, and since then, I have not attempted to preach through this text a single time. I've not thought about it. It was one of those things like, well, if I got it wrong, then I'm just not even going to put time into it. And so as, as I've known, the Beatitudes are coming. And as I've been preparing, 
this has kind of weighed on me a little bit. How do you interpret this? And so I'll just echo what my professor wrote to me and just say, this text is notoriously difficult to interpret. It's weird. It's, it's odd. Jesus is being a little culturally subversive. And by a little culturally subversive, I mean a lot of culturally subversive. And I get it, right? Because we have this problem, and, and I agree with it, that we just, it kind of makes us feel weird to call Jesus' words weird. It doesn't feel right in us, right, to say, like, Jesus is being very odd here. Because we, we know he's Jesus, and I, I get that. But to treat this text as normal and realistic and just like, oh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense, we then have to start forcing words into the mouth of Jesus that he doesn't use. We have to start trying to add clarifiers onto the end of phrases, and we have to start trying to add all of these extra things because otherwise it doesn't make sense to us. So, so we'll read the, the Beatitudes, and we'll be like, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, the people that recognize their own depravity. That makes sense. And blessed are those who mourn their sin. Blessed are the meek. Well, that's, you know, that's those who have power, but they keep it under control. And, and I would just kindly go back and say, if Jesus wanted to say, blessed are those who mourn their sins, could he not have just said, blessed are those who mourn their sins? Jesus doesn't say that. There has to be something there that we don't have to insert words into Jesus to have this make sense. But how on earth do we make sense of this when it's just weird and odd and a little bit culturally subversive? So I'm not trying to dismantle those things. I'm not even saying that I totally disagree. I think there is a world where you should mourn your sins. This just isn't the text to get you there. So is there a way to understand this passage without having to add words to each blessing? And I think to do that, we have to do quite a bit of contextual legwork, or what I've come to call recently uh, nerding out. So we have to go back and just nerd out a little bit over Scripture. So if you're not that type of person, you don't enjoy nerding out, it's okay. Take a few breaths. I'll, I'll cue you back in when we get back into it. But we need to go and we need to nerd out a little bit. And the first thing I need to do, and when I say nerd out, I really mean nerd out because here's my first slide for you today. That's the Greek text. It doesn't mean anything to any of you. And I recognize, eh, some of you maybe, but most of you don't, don't care anything about this. And I, I recognize that. But I want to use this to point out a, a thing. In the English, it's hard to tell. But in the Greek, there's a very clear dividing line between uh, verse 6 and verse 7. So verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 are the first four uh, Beatitudes. And if you'll notice, those bolded underlined words are the, um, so blessed are the patokoi, and that's poor in spirit, and praesis, those who mourn. And all of them start with the same Greek letter. If you took math class, you know that Greek letter is called pi, right? In Greek, we call it P. But in, in math class, you call that pi. Jesus is building something here, and Matthew's picking up on it. In fact, if you go in and count the words, you'll find there's actually very similar number counts of words. There's a clear division there. And I say all that to say today, uh, as I was going to try to just tackle this whole passage, and I think I don't have the time to really do that adequately. So we're going to look at the first four today, and then we're going to tie it all together next week with the bottom four. So today we're just going to start with these first four words. So let's start with it. You'll notice that Greek word up there. It looks like an M to start with. That's because it is. It's a mu. It's ma, uh, makarios or makarioi. That's the word for blessed here. So what on earth does it mean to be blessed? Kelsey, you can take down the Greek now. It doesn't matter anymore. Thank you. What does it mean to be blessed? And actually, this is another one of those things where the Greek has multiple words for it. English has one word for it. And so it does us a disservice because we understand blessed to always mean the same thing every time we see it. 
But biblically speaking, that's not the case. So there's one word for blessed, and that's the word uh, eulageo, or it's where we get our word eulogy from. So it's the prefix eu, which means good, and logos, which means word. So eulageo is to speak a good word over somebody. So if you're going to do a funeral and you're going to get up and give a eulogy, you get up and speak a good word over that person. So there's a way in the Bible that it will say God speaks good words over us. And sometimes when God speaks good words over us, it changes the trajectory of our lives. It changes how we understand and view the world. It changes everything because it's his blessing poured out from heaven onto earth. So one of the best, I think most clear examples is in Luke chapter 1. Mary has learned she's pregnant, and then she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, And Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist at this point. And so the Holy Spirit moves within Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says out loud to Mary, and she gives the classic Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. It's this word eulageo. God has spoken a good word over you, Mary, and has totally changed the reality and the trajectory of your life. This is a blessing poured out from heaven directly to you on earth. That is not the word Matthew uses or Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the Greek word makarios, which a lot of different translators struggle to translate this word. We've landed on blessed because that's the more traditional word. Uh, But I'm curious, do any of you in your Bibles have the word happy here? Happy is the one who mourns. It's another possible translation. The NLT, I think, does happy. Um, Because this word carries the connotation of happiness with it. The problem that comes with that is then we have all these nuances of what does it mean to be happy? Does that just mean getting all the things you want in life? And that's what really makes you happy. So some uh, translators have even come out and said, happy's not a great one either. Maybe a better one is something like congratulations. Because it's something along the lines of, it's the word you say to people when something good happens in their life, when there's something to congratulate them on. Oh, you passed your final? Makarios, congratulations. You're blessed, you're happy, that's a good thing. You got a new job? Makarios. Yeah, good, good for you. Having a baby, makarios. That's where you use this word in the context of Greek language. And so when Jesus is coming in, it's not this, a blessing has been poured out from heaven to earth, but it is a happy is the one, or congratulations. I've even read one commentary that says, we could translate it like, let's throw a party for the person who mourns. Are you starting to see where Jesus is being a little subversive here? If that's the the direction we're going with this? And then we can start backtracking a little bit more and find that this concept of listing out the types of people who deserve this type of congratulations or blessed or happy, it's all over the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 1 starts this way, right? Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And so it's going to start going out and saying, these are the people on earth who understand God and they're living life the way God designed life to be lived. So that type of person is happy. That type of person deserves to be congratulated. That type of person is blessed. And then if you start tracking through, you'll find this through the Bible. And then you'll even start to find it in what we often refer to as second temple literature. Now, that may not make any lick of sense. I told you we were going to nerd out today, okay? Bear with me. Um, So a lot of times we we say that there's this 400-year period of silence between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament. And that is absolutely true. In terms of sacred scripture, it closes at the end of the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean there are not still people in the Jewish community writing things down. In fact, there are quite a few people that are writing history, they're writing wisdom literature, and these books get compiled and put in the temple, not as some sacred uh, Hebraic literature. It's not the same as what they would call the Tanakh, 
but it is an extra set of writings that's just something that they held. And this would include things like 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Maccabees, the book of Enoch. This is what we refer to today as the Apocrypha. In fact, if you go pick up most Catholic Bibles, you'll still find these books in there. Now, we don't include them in our Bible, not because we're like, oh, they're so weird and I've got to stay away from them. It's just the, the Hebrew people didn't consider them sacred texts. We don't consider them sacred texts. It's really that simple. But there is still stuff being written that's really interesting. One of these books is a book that's a wisdom literature from a guy named Jesus bin Sirach. So another Jesus, but not the same one. It's about 150 years before Jesus of Nazareth taught. Jesus bin Sirach, bin means son, so it's the son of Sirach, or Sirach. And so in Sirach 25, you can go look this up, it says this, 25 verse 7, There are nine that come to mind as blessed, ten who my tongue proclaims, the man who finds joy in his children, and the one who lives to see the downfall of his enemies. Happy is the man who lives with a sensible woman, the one who does not plow with an ox and donkey combined. Happy is the one who does not sin with the tongue and does not serve an inferior. Happy is the one, or blessed, Makarios, is the one who finds a friend who speaks to an attentive ear. How great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is greater than the one who fears the Lord. This one makes a little bit more sense to me than the Beatitudes, if I'm just being honest with you. Just me and my own take, looking at this, this tends to make a little bit more sense to me. Because according to Jesus being Sirach, who is the type of person who is blessed? Well, you can start going down. The first one is, blessed is the man who finds joy in his children. Can you start seeing first century Judaism all over the place? If you're going to be blessed, then you are probably a man. And then he goes on and, well, blessed is the person who uh, sees the downfall of his foes. Blessed is the man who outworks and outpaces his enemies, who stays in it longer to see his enemies fall and he stands victorious. Uh, blessed is the man who doesn't have to serve his inferiors. The one that knows his position and stands strong and above those who are less than him. Blessed is the one that when he speaks, people listens to him. He has attentive ears. That's the type of person who's blessed. Remember, this is 150 years before Jesus. And this gives us a little peek into what first century Judaism looked like. So if you were going to go and paint a picture of the person that you would want to say congratulations to, or, or this person is blessed, what is this person going to look like? Well, they're going to be powerful. And they're not going to serve inferiors. And they're going to have the family. And they're going to have all of these checklist things. And that's how you know a person is blessed. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. And Jesus says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Do you see how subversive Jesus is being to this culture? One more thing I want to point out, and then we'll jump right back into the text. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Two things that we have to stop and start thinking about. Who are the crowds, and who are his disciples? Now, it's easy for us to look at and say, oh, his disciples are the 12 people that followed him. But I would just remind you, have the 12 disciples been called in the book of Matthew yet? That's not until chapter 10. So, so who are these people that are following, in the word disciple, learning from Jesus? Who are these crowds? And to tell you that, I have to remind you that Matthew did not end chapter 4 and say chapter 5. He just wrote. 
and it actually connects back to chapter 4. So at the end of chapter 4, Matthew's going to tell us what this looked like. Verse 23, now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And the news about him spread throughout Syria, and look at the type of people that are coming to Jesus. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains. The demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. And then Matthew tells us, large crowds followed him from Galilee to the Decapolis, to Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. When he saw the crowds, so who is the crowds? I think Matthew is saying the crowds consists of these types of people. The hurting, the afflicted, the sick, the paralyzed, the demon-possessed, the epileptics. So, So let me just set the stage. You live in a world led by clear, distinctive power categories. And the higher you are in those power categories, the more blessed you are according to tradition. And so if you're up high on that power thing, you never dip yourself below someone inferior to you. That's the wisdom of Jesus ben Sirach. Blessed is the one who doesn't submit to an inferior. So those powers are up there. And these people that are following Jesus, where do they live on this power spectrum? They're the lowest of the lows. They are the weak. They're the poor. They're the people that can't even work for themselves because they've spent their lives paralyzed or epileptic or having bouts of insanity from demon possession and all of this stuff that's come flooding into their life. And what happens when you're living a life that you're so sick you can't work? Surely Rome comes in and says, well, luckily we have really, really good, uh, you know, government programs to help out the sick and needy here in Rome. So you're in luck. That that doesn't happen. Rome is not in the business of helping the needy, and they wouldn't. So if you're one of those people, you've lived your entire life paralyzed, you can't go out and do even day labor work, what are you left to do? You're left to stand outside the temple and beg for scraps. You're left to be the weakest of the weak. You're left to be the person that everyone turns their nose up and walks by. And Matthew seems to want us to know that when you go out and you survey the crowd following Jesus, guess who you find? You find those people. That's the people that are interested in seeing what Jesus is going to teach. There was no government system. There was no hope of a better tomorrow. Your life had become this feral, instinctive attempt to just try to stay alive. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I'm bringing a new kingdom And he goes up on a mountain and he begins to teach and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble for they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. Do you see how electric the words of Jesus of Nazareth is? I think for us today, we're disconnected. But if we could go back, you may have heard audible gasps in the crowd. Jesus, those types of people are not blessed. Jesus, the type of people that are blessed are the people that live to see the downfall of his foes. Not the morning. And yet Jesus comes in and says, hey, to, to the poor people, the religiously poor, the economically poor, the spiritually poor, congratulations. Speaking to the morning, the broken people, he looks across the crowd and he says, man, you are so blessed. Speaking to the completely powerless people of his days, he says, let's celebrate. Why? Is Jesus 
being sarcastic? It almost feels like he's being sarcastic. It feels like to some degree, it's like, what's that? You need surgery, but you can't afford it and your insurance won't cover it? Congratulations. Oh, your, your boss is making you work overtime and you're going to miss your son's kindergarten recital. And if you don't go into work, you lose your job and you're homeless. Man, you are so blessed. What is Jesus doing? And I think the only thing, way we can make sense of this is to understand that Jesus is tying this into his new kingdom reality. Where at this new kingdom, the least likely people, he goes to them and he says, hey, in a world that functions on power dynamics and money and influence, it's actually the people who have none of that who are blessed. And then to prove that, Jesus just says these words. And it's words that we don't have to clarify. We don't have to add extra things on the end of them. We don't have to hear Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn, and then raise our hand and say, but like that means our sin, right? Because Jesus, I, I live in America. I mean, our whole culture is built on the pursuit of happiness. We don't mourn here in America. In fact, if you mourn, we give you drugs so that you don't have to feel that anymore. We don't mourn here in America. So when you say blessed are those who mourn, you mean mourn their sin, right? B blessed are the meek. Wait a minute, Jesus. You don't mean we like lose our power. We worked very hard for this power. That, that means, you know, we just keep our power under control, locked down really, really well. And I would just say, read Jesus' words without the need for clarifiers, without the need to insert something extra. Let Jesus say what he simply says. And then keep in mind who he's saying it to within the context. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the people who are down and out. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer. They don't have money. They don't have wisdom. By all worldly accounts, they would slow down the system rather than bolster it. No one's looking for their opinions. No one is considering their presence a blessing. And remember who Jesus is talking to. These people that would stand outside temple gates and beg for food. These people that the religious leaders would turn their nose up and walk by. And Jesus looks at these people and he says, you're blessed. Because the kingdom of God is yours. You're blessed because in my new kingdom, there is no longer a distinction of class or economy or status or anything like that. And you're the first it comes to welcome to the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who mourn. B blessed are those who are sad. Blessed are those people who are depressed. Blessed are those who have lost people they love. Blessed are those who come from broken backgrounds and didn't get to experience the love of a parent. Blessed are those stuck in failure. Blessed are those whose dreams didn't pan out. Because not only is this crowd the least of the Jews, they're Jews. They're living under the boot of Rome when everything in their scripture, everything their grandparents have told them, God has promised us this land, we have the rights to it. Now they set under this carpenter from the sticks, oppressed of the oppressed. You don't think there's mourning all over those situations? 
That these people are not looking at their lives at ruined dreams and dashed hopes and lost relationships saying things shouldn't be this way. And Jesus looks at it and says, you're blessed because one day you'll be comforted. One day God will wipe every tear from your eye. And blessed are the meek. When's the last time you used the word meek in a sentence outside of church? Blessed are the powerless. Blessed are the ones who have no voice. Blessed are the ones who have no influence, the ones that aren't cool enough to even draw a following. Blessed are those in the background that no one else sees. Blessed are those trapped in a cycle beyond their control. Because when you look out at this crowd, what can these people change about their situation? Because they can't change the minds of the religious leaders. They can't change the occupation of Rome. They can't change the taxation laws, forcing them deeper and deeper into poverty. I think if we went to those people and said, now Jesus means that it's power under control. They would say, what power? It sure would be nice to have even an ounce of it. I don't have any power. And Jesus looks at that person and says, blessed are the people who have no power. Because they'll inherit the world. They'll become the kings and queens of my new kingdom. They are the ones I'm coming to first in blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There is, I think, commentary that needs to happen here to some extent. So to start with, just walk through the phrase hunger and thirst. Are, are hunger and thirst things that you decide to do? That you wake up one morning and think, I'd really like to be hungry today. Let me think of it. No, hunger and thirst is something that just happens to you. It's not you go out and be hungry, it's you become hungry from a lack of something that's there. So Jesus is saying those that are hunger and thirsting for righteousness. Hebrew mind, there's kind of two different ways to interpret righteousness, both of which are biblical and true. One of them is the righteous in the courtroom of God, so that God declares you righteous. This is what we mean when we say Jesus dies for your sin, that in the courtroom of heaven, the punishments of your sin befall on Jesus on the cross rather than your shoulders. And so you are declared with Jesus' righteousness as he takes on your sin. That is absolutely biblical, but I don't believe that's the righteousness that's here. Because the other way to understand righteousness is just living in right relationship. So blessed is the person that has this hole within them that says, there's not right relationships in this world. There's brokenness all around me between man and man, man and woman, woman and woman, woman and man and God. All of this is not the way it should be. And there's something in my soul that tells me there's a better way. Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Blessed are those that sees the world is not right, that sees there's broken relationships all around them, that sees there's broken relationships because of them. Blessed are those who there's can't get it together. Blessed are the addicted, desperate for an escape. Blessed are the unstable who want nothing more than stability. Blessed are the broken who keep searching for a fix only to find themselves shattered into more pieces. Because in this crowd, we find people who are demon-possessed. These are not just people that are byproducts of a broken system. They are just as much byproducts of their own sin. And we find in this world there's a complexity of good and evil in each and every one of us. That we all can do a good thing on this day and then just an outright evil thing on this day. 
and recognize that we are the own source of our pain and brokenness. We are actually the reason this world is broken. It's not just those people over there that are ruining the world. It's actually me right here ruining the world. And Jesus says, blessed is the person that recognizes that longing and sees something better, for they will be filled. Now, are you feeling weird yet? Because you probably should be. So there should be something within you that wants to cry out, wait, Jesus, insignificant people are not blessed. Jesus, depressed people are not happy. Jesus, powerless people don't get congratulations. Jesus, helpless people don't have parties thrown for them. But is Jesus a liar? No. He might be weird and odd, but Jesus is not a liar. When Jesus calls them blessed, why does he call them blessed? Because they are actually blessed. Welcome to the reality of his new kingdom. This list of blessings is not some list of virtues that was like, we all need to go mourn today. It's not some list of commands of the things we should be striving to do. This is a direct challenge to the operating system of the world. And guess who's going to receive the first invitation? Do any of you today feel insignificant? Do you feel overlooked? Do, do you feel underappreciated? Congratulations. Because Jesus has come for you. Do you feel depressed? Do you feel sad? Do you feel sorrowful? Man, you are blessed because Jesus has come for you. Do you feel powerless, limited, weak, like you can't even make a difference in this world? Perfect. You're the exact person Jesus has come for. Trapped in your sin, unable to escape? Man, you are the exact person Jesus is looking for. Let's throw a party. You're blessed. Jesus is inviting you into this new operating system. So why does all of this matter? And if I could just condense it up, I would say it this way. Intentionally living like Jesus means we trust his kingdom, not ours. Intentionally living like Jesus means that we trust his kingdom, not yours. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about this kingdom language. And the way I framed that one is to build his kingdom, Jesus will ruin yours. Here's what I didn't tell you that day. I can't just give you all the bad news in one go. Your kingdom was already ruined. Your kingdom was already destroyed. I mean, it's like trying to build a sandcastle with dry sand. You can get a really nice big mound together, and then you can put a little cross on top and say, look at all Jesus has done for me, and it's pathetic. Who cares? A four-year-old could have done just as well. Because Jesus is saying, your kingdom will always be ruined. Because actually, the way the world functions is nothing like you think it does. Welcome to my kingdom, where the mourning are blessed, where the humble are blessed, where the poor in spirit are blessed. And maybe you feel that. And Jesus is saying, if that's how you feel today, congratulations. That's the starting point of blessing. And maybe you feel uncomfortable with that. Because for you, it's not so much of a blessing as it is a challenge. I, I think a lot about the parable of the prodigal son. Because in the parable of the prodigal son, the one who is blessed is the son that runs away, squanders his inheritance, comes back to the father's household and says, I've ruined it. And the father does what? Makarios, let's throw a party. 
I don't think the actual Greek word makarios is there, but he does say, let's throw a party. And while it's a blessing for that son, for the son that still holds his power, it's a challenge. It's confusing. Wait, God, this doesn't seem to make sense. I don't believe this is fair. And Jesus comes in and says, welcome to my new kingdom, built on totally different values. Let me close with this. This is the, kind of the best way I think I, I can make sense of this. Back in the early 2000s, there were some British sculptural artists, Tim Noble and Susan Webster. You can look them up. Um, so they did this big thing in the United Kingdoms where you would go into an art exhibit. And so you would go in and you would see something like this. Um, it's a little blurry. Again, 2004, we didn't have that great of cameras in. But you could tell a big, ba uh, big lump of trash, right? And then you walk in and you're like, oh, it's one of those art exhibits. Wonderful. Let's just go home. Um, but, as, but as you walk through this, uh, you walk into the room and there's this big pile of trash on the ground. And then all of a sudden the lights go out and another light comes on. And when the light comes on, it shines on the trash and you start to see something in the background. You see people, silhouettes of actual significance and beauty. And you walk into the next room and you see this table full of old cans shot up with BB guns and holes all in them. And all of a sudden it goes out and the light shines on them and what's behind them is the World Trade Centers and all of this really amazing cityscape made out of this. And I think there's something to be said here about when you walk in, what you perceive as trash actually becomes a point of significance and beauty the moment there's a surprise light that shines on it and reframes it. What you thought of as rubbish only worth being discarded, the light has shined on, and from a certain angle, there's actually beauty and meaning and significance. Welcome to what Jesus is doing, that he comes to this earth, and he looks at the trash pile we have made of everything, and he says, watch this, and the lights go out, and he shines his light on it, and all of a sudden, what's there is something more beautiful than you could have ever imagined. This is why Jesus calls you blessed. This is why Jesus says there's something about mourning and sadness. This is why you can trust in his kingdom because Jesus has come to ransom the lost, to save us sinners, to call those who mourn and who are humble, blessed, and his new kingdom because he is the savior and the light of the world. So why does this matter to us? What, what's all of our purpose within this? And I would just remind you that the purpose of us here at First Baptist is not to be all nice and fancy that one day God will just, man, I was so amazed with what you did, Philip. That was so impressive. No, God couldn't be impressed by that. But instead to go and to carry our insignificance, our depression, our powerlessness, our futile attempts at achieving our own righteousness to lay them at the foot of the cross where the light shines on them and we see something we never saw before. Welcome to what Jesus does on this earth. So where are you? We're gonna have a time of just reflecting on that. Where are you? Are you over here trying to decorate and build up your kingdom? Are you willing to take every ounce of what you have and lay it before Jesus, broken and say, Jesus, I can't make blessing out of this, but I trust you. And maybe today you just need to come lay it back down. Maybe you've already laid it down and you're just, I just need to be reminded of how Jesus turns my life around even when I'm in mourning. Maybe you've never laid it down. I'll be up here. I'd love to talk with you about what that looks like to lay your life before the cross and to trust the blessings of your Savior. 
Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and your truth. That you are a good, good father that continually pours out your love to us. So that even when us meek and broken people, when those of us who are just so spiritually poor, those of us who, God, are just stuck in this endless cycle of mourning, would come and see the light, we would see that you are doing something drastically different in this world. And God, you would help us to be exactly as you intended us to be. Not in a desire to build our own kingdom up, but a desire to just trust you with what you are building. God, let us give our lives to you. It's in Christ's name we pray.